the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Off. Welcome to Zero Carbonista. I'm Ian Collins, but that's largely irrelevant. If this is the first time you've listened, and shame on you, by the way, some background. This podcast series is really about the views, thoughts, campaigns and ideas of one man. Dale Vince is the entrepreneur who's built his success in the green energy sector. He's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company, an area he identified years before it was remotely on the political agenda, let alone dominating world events. He's also the chairman of Forest Green Rovers as well, the world's first vegan football club, still doing rather well in League Two. We'll come on to some of that, Dale, in a few moments, because you get a lot of questions, by the way, about football as well as energy and green issues, which is interesting. Um, Let's start with Australia. UK scientists are saying the bushfires in Australia are a warning of what may be to come around the world. This is in a report from the UK's Met Office. These scientists warn that if the planet increases by three degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by the end of this century, there could be fires of the kind we're seeing in Australia in many other places. Now, you hear that and you see the images and we know that what is happening there, record temperatures, uh, places are burning like furnaces all over the place. Huge devastation to human life, to human habitation and, of course, uh, massive devastation to wildlife. Fascinating to look at social media. I know it's only a, a little microcosm of opinion, but there are many people unconvinced that there's something bad going on here. Yeah, I jumped on social media myself uh, about a week ago uh, on this story and said, uh, basically, look, don't take this the wrong way. But I can't look at what's happening in Australia without feeling that there's a bit of either climate irony or climate karma going on here, because Australia is pretty much at the forefront of international efforts to hold back efforts against climate change. You know, they're almost in denial uh, about the fact of it being man-made climate change. Uh, intending to open up new coal mines, for example. And their attitude, uh, it pretty much centers around the fact that being responsible for only 1.3% of the world's carbon emissions, they don't think anything they do can make a difference, which is just silly. And uh, it's very rare, I think, for a country that's at the forefront of resisting change to, f- to fight climate change to also be at the forefront of the impacts of climate change. Yeah. And that's, that's what's quite special about this event, I think. You know, it's very much in their faces. Yeah, I was looking at the you know, just some of the sort of the, the rhetoric from the prime minister, which doesn't seem particularly encouraging. You might think, and this is perhaps a fairly crude way of looking at it but you know Australia is a big country you think of the open airness about it the outdoorsness of it the wildlifeness of it and all of that you might think just by dint of its kind of image and what it appears to stand for that they would be the very antithesis of that argument they'd be at the forefront of everything they would want to make sure clean air and the great outdoors and all that goes with it was first and set front and center really to everything. I guess you might think that. I've got, I got a feeling they've got the second highest per capita carbon emission rates in the world after America. 
So, uh, you know, again, coming back to the 1.3 percent point, uh, that that kind of is a misleading statistic to a degree. When you think about it on a personal level, individually, they are uh, among the highest drivers of the climate crisis in the world. And, you know, it's kind of it's like the old recycling argument of 20 years ago. What does it make any difference if I don't do it uh, kind of stuff? If, if you look at all of the countries of the world that have emissions of, let's say, between one and two percent, between them, they add up to over 40% of global yeah. climate emissions. So if those countries do nothing because individually they think, well, I'm only responsible for 1% or 2%, then we don't get to sure. do anything about climate change. It's just a silly attitude. Uh, and what are, what are the, or part of the thinking seems to be, I mean, you say 1.3% you know, of global emissions. They, they insist that 1.3% of global emissions is theirs. They can do nothing because they, they tend to point to China as being mm. not too far up the road, relatively speaking, as an example of, well, if they're doing nothing, then what's the point in us doing something? Yeah, except China's not doing nothing. China's well, I was going to say, we touched on this in the previous episode, didn't we? It's actually it's a bit yeah. of an urban myth going around about China. Yeah, uh, It's wrong to say that. I mean, China has big emissions as a total in terms of per capita emissions. They're very low. And if you look at what China are doing in installing um, uh, renewable energy, windmills in particular, uh, I think they've got tens of thousands of electric buses on the road. So, and China doesn't just use this technology. It manufactures and exports it to the rest of the world as well. I would say China is probably at the forefront of action against climate change. Now, that is fascinating. I think lots of people listening to this for the first time, were, because it comes up all the time. People mention China, then they mention India, and they mention those two yeah. big economies and growing uh, economies that are at the forefront of quite a lot of, of tech and energy and all sorts of other things. And they constantly come up as being the, the pirates of the peace, as it were, <laughs> that are more responsible than anyone else. But in fact, your, yeah. your, your contention here is that China is possibly what leading the way even. I think so. You know, you can look at the total emissions of a country, and yes, China is, is one of the biggest emitters in the world, but you've got to look at the fact that there's a billion people that live there. And then you've got to look at the per capita emissions, the individual yeah. emissions, and you see they're among the lowest in the world. And we have to take responsibility for the fact that in the developed world or Western world or whatever you want to call it, we have high per capita emissions of carbon. And, it's, and we have to do something about that. Sure. But at the same time, China are leading uh, in the fight against climate change as well in the deployment of renewable energy, uh, electric vehicles, particularly buses as well as cars. I mean, they're leading the world. And they seem to have worked out what... Trump hasn't worked out that a lot of businesses worked out a few years ago. You know, one of the reasons we have electric cars, one of the reasons that we have all manner of other environmentally considerate innovations taking place. You look at sort of there was recently a big global tech show and you look at all the, the, the kind of green credentials of new uh, inventions is because people have realized, in fact, you can do, if you like, gentle capitalism can work in tandem with being environmentally savvy, that, that the two aren't exclusive. Yeah, for me, there, there are a couple of different issues here. I think there are a lot of people that identify the, uh, the need to fight climate change, the green tech that we need to develop and deploy. They see that as a business opportunity. And these are conventional business people that are driven in that conventional way to pursue money. I don't have a problem with that if they're uh, working on green tech and solving climate change and uh, pursuing con conventional capitalism at the same time. But the second uh, issue I see in all of this is the changing nature of capitalism and of business, uh, the increasing number of businesses around the world that don't pursue only money, that do pursue environment outcomes, social outcomes as well. 
uh, and aren't driven by that singular purpose of just making money. And I do believe that we have to change capitalism as it's become. I don't think it's how it started, but we have to change it from something that singularly pursues money above all else yeah. and bring in the environment of people uh, as the goals of, of good companies. I think that's starting to happen, mm. and it could do it happening on a bigger scale. But at the same time, if conventional profit-seeking companies pursue green tech, I've got no problem with that either. Yeah, it's interesting. If you read any Adam Smith, I don't think you know the, the original template of capitalism was not meant to be just a greedy bastard <laughs> with, with no yes. conscience. I don't think that was ever meant to be the intention, but of course it's been usurped yeah. over the years maybe. No, I think it's a real problem. If you pursue only money, then you make mistakes. You know, you do bad things. Yeah. Uh, you have to because you pursue only money uh, at the expense of everything else, quite literally. Uh, we've got lots of questions coming in here. Um, Vicky on Facebook says, my husband and I are doing Veganuary. Uh, doing okay so far. How do you live without cheese and milk, though? That's the problem. Come on, Dale. I'm dreaming about them constantly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think, you know, cheese and milk are kind of like, um, you know, one of the kind of frontier issues for people that want to give up uh, animal products. You often hear of bacon being the thing that uh, meat eaters find the hardest thing to yeah, give up. Yeah, I saw up, that I this week. The bacon yeah. sarni turns people back. Yeah. But bacon is pretty good. You know, these, these kind of mock bacons, they're all right. They're, they're a bit of fun. And I think essentially anyway, it's, it's like having something thin and fried in a bread product. I mean, yeah. essentially that's the nature of a bacon roll to me. And that can be faked. Um, cheese and milk, it is a problem for some people. I get that. There are some brilliant um, fake cheeses out now. And there are some brilliant nut cheeses, which seem to have created an entirely new genre of wow. cheese. You know, they don't, they don't try to fake cheese. They're, they're actually kind of nut-based sure. uh, versions. And when it comes to milk, I would say try oat milk because it's the, uh, it's the product that is yeah. most successful. Uh, for people that want to swap cow's milk for something more environmentally friendly, yeah. uh, you know, it kind of most closely approximates that uh, cow experience. My, my uh, little boy, who's, yeah, he's 15 months old and has uh, only ever had oat milk. He, that's uh -huh. all he knows. Yeah, nice. um, and, yeah. and, and that, there's no reason to ever change that now, I guess. Well, no, and it works really well. You know, at, uh, at uh, Forest Green Rovers, when we took milk off the agenda or the menu like a few years ago, I remember chatting to fans when we did it, and we had a range of milks for them to try, uh, oat, soya, uh, almond, rice, for example. And oat is the one that's, um, that's really succeeded. And I remember our fans saying, well, you know what, I can't even have, like, milk in my coffee now. <laughs> and I said, well, you can, <laughs> but, you know, you have to have one of these because actually yeah. there's this incredible cruelty in the dairy industry that uh, most people just don't know about. Possibly of all the elements of animal welfare, that, that you, you could reasonably argue that the dairy industry is right at the top of that list. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a brutal cycle of abuse for dairy cows. Uh, constant impregnation, having their calves taken away from them at birth, um, being literally milked to death. Uh, I think they last about seven years compared to a natural lifespan of over 20. Mm. And as their yield drops below commercially acceptable levels, which have been boosted way beyond natural levels, then they're just uh, shot. And uh, their offspring replace them in this chain and cycle of abuse. It is just awful. Just on an issue of animal welfare, it's worth bringing this up because somebody is going to text us or, or tweet and say, hang on, you didn't mention Jolly and Maughan, the lawyer. <laughs> of course, we've had Joe on the program. Um, yeah. You've worked alongside him. I've known him for a while as well. But of course, he hit yeah. the headlines at Christmas because he battered a fox to death in his backyard. Yeah. Now, he had reasons that he gave behind it. I mean, well, what, what's the view on this, Dale? This, this, this wasn't his best moment, clearly. 
Well, I was going to bring it up, so I'm glad that you did, because I do think it's relevant to, to Veganuary as well, for example. So I was a little bit um, shocked by the, the story, same as a lot of people were, and the idea of battering an animal to death, you know, uh, doesn't do anything for me. And he's got his own reasons for what he did, and, um, you know, he's justified that. But the aspect of that story that interested me was the kickback on media and social media uh, about the death of one animal and uh, and the nature of the death and uh, for me the nature of that death was uh, more swift less cruel and less stressful than the nature of the death of farm animals in the abattoir um, and there's an hypocrisy i think in our country and it's it's there in the world as well around animal issues mm. we value uh, the lives of some animals much more than we do others pets for example Michael Gove proposed a law last summer to ban puppy farms because of the the way that the puppies uh, are, are raised, the intensive rearing of them and taking them from the mothers very young, which is exactly what happens in farming. Sure. Uh, but for pets, that's like a different issue. And we kill one billion animals a year in Britain. That's like three million every day for food. Uh, and they are slaughtered in the most awful, brutal conditions. I've seen the footage from being a vegan film judge last summer. I spent one day watching all sorts of films uh, that were based around animal rights and the conditions in animal farming and stuff. And conditions in abattoirs are just, just awful. And here's a guy. He kills a fox probably in a matter of seconds uh, with a baseball bat. You know, it's quite a, uh, it's definitely a colorful, emotive kind of story. Mm. One animal dispatched very quickly and there's a huge hoo-ha in the media about that and i just think there's an amazing hypocrisy when behind the scenes we're killing three million animals every day in the most brutal of circumstances uh, just for food that we don't need so that's uh, that's my take on okay. the story um, and i think it, it ties into veganuary you know indeed. really quite well uh, here's a, just a message here from Jamie on Twitter who says, I'm new to this podcast. After I heard you on BBC Radio 2 over Christmas, Dale, uh, I'm also following you on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, says Jamie. You've got a massive... <laughs> Right, hello, Jamie. You should pencil him down as a potential stalker, I think. So, um, <laughs> sure, sure he's a nice bloke, really. Uh, Nikki sure. on Facebook, I'm thinking of getting solar panels at home. Is it worth it? Um, now there's no payment from the government. Yeah, I think it is worth it. I mean, it depends on your motivation. It, it will mean that the payback period is longer. You have to offset it against your own bills. You won't get income from uh, the feed-in tariff and that kind of stuff. But environmentally, it's absolutely worth it. And energy sure. prices are only going to go up. And, you know, if you can afford it, then you should do it because we should all take the responsibility that we're able to to reduce emissions and that kind of stuff. Let's do some football. Mansfield Town lose the seven-goal thriller on home soil. Mark Cooper's side take all three points coming from 2-0 down in the first half. Forest Green Rovers to win this one eventually. And it finishes Mansfield 3, Forest Green Rovers 4. Forest Green Rovers, this is your club, of course, you sit as the chairman. And a new eco-park, which you've planned for a while. So this is a new stadium, and it will also be there for um, other businesses and, and all sorts of things can go with the eco-park. Well, what's the status of this at the moment? I keep looking at social media and trying to follow what's happening, and I, I guess you're sort of caught in the great planning permission conundrum. Yeah, um, 18th of December, so about a week after the election, um, we actually got planning permission for it from our local council. Uh, it had been five years in planning. It was uh, refused in June last year, 
uh, we tweaked it, bunged it back in, and we got planning permission, which is pretty amazing. The original concept is a 100-acre site that's a combination uh, new stadium, sports facility, and green tech business park for up to 4,000 jobs, a reinstated canal, creating a wetland area, and all sorts of planting and habitat creation at junction 13 of the M5. It's about a 100 million pound project. We stripped out the business park about a year and a half ago because it was uh, something the council was struggling with. We tried to make it more simple for them and just left the sports stadium in. And yeah, that got consented in December because there was an election a week before we found ourselves with a new Tory MP. And um, yeah, having been our MP for five minutes, she decided that she would oppose Eco Park and support the uh, call in from the Secretary of State, the suggestion that the Secretary of State should call this in to um, make a decision and possibly override the local planning authority. So uh, that's where we are at the moment. We're waiting to hear from the Secretary of State. Uh, We hope to hear this month whether they will call it in or not. And um, it seems like a bizarre kind well, of... What have you done to further. upset this new, um, <laughs> amazingly diligent local MP? I mean, Well, I, I guess, you know, we upset um, the Tories generally uh, before the election. Uh, I mean, normally that's a good day's work for you, isn't it, if you upset the Tories? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't set out to, but I do find myself at odds with them. And uh, it brings us back to our friend Jolian, doesn't it? I was the lead petitioner in that case in which... We made Boris Johnson promise the High Court that he would follow the law and not crash us out of uh, Europe with no deal at the end of October. And I think that was um, that was impactful on the government. It did force him to backtrack on his die in a ditch kind of uh, pledge when it came to the extension. And then during the election, we put up a few banners around town uh, and and at the site of Eco Park, actually. And it was it was a funny thing. Local Tory obviously had a contact with the um, the chief superintendent of the county. We put some banners up, and within a couple of hours, we had police coming into the lobby of our building. And they pitched up at your place, (laughs) didn't they? Starsky and Hutch were live at Ecotricity HQ. You know, I'm, I'm left. I'm left thinking. You know, come on, Shirley. We don't live in a banana republic. You know, I'm entitled to have political views. I'm entitled to support yeah. uh, any, any political party. And then the government of the day is not going to simply take political revenge. Sure. Well, here's the thing. According to Darren on Facebook, you're not entitled to all of your views, Dale, to be honest, Uh because he said, I heard you on Jeremy Vine saying that you could save the planet if we stopped eating meat. People like you should be arrested for fake news. (laughs) (laughs) So forget getting arrested for your banners. You should be arrested for being a a vegan. Yeah, well, let me just say nobody gets arrested for fake news, and I wish that they would. Yeah, maybe that is the problem. Uh, This in from Chris. Dale, I drive a Renault Zoe. Why have your new EV pumps not got AC charging? You are the national network, for heaven's sake. Can you just, for those who don't know what that question even means, can you just explain what's behind the question? Yeah, um, you've got to kind of look at the the evolution of electric cars, really. So the first ones on the road in Britain uh, pretty much were the Japanese standard uh, known as Chardamo, the the Nissan Leaf. Uh, We actually began before that with uh, basically a three-pin plug on the motorways. Uh, I think it might have been known as Type 1 in the industry. I'm not really sure. But there are kind of three standards in the world now. The Japanese Chardamo, the European CCS, and then there's an AC one, which is used pretty much only by uh, cars like the Zoe. Uh, by Renault. And there's a kind of evolutionary battle going on. AC is being dropped. There's no doubt about it. And in Europe, uh, Chardamo 
is in the in the process of being dropped. CCS will be the European standard. There's no doubt about it. So when new pumps go in, it's very unusual for them to support AC. And I think uh, at the moment you'll quite often find Chardamo and CCS, but sure. the the way this is all coalescing is towards CCS. It it is a problem to uh, to have backward compatibility and to support older models of cars gotcha. but the manufacturers themselves are going to stop making ac cars and and i think they will stop making chardamo as well so it's a, just a tricky position so it's a kind of bit of a hiatus at the moment so so you, ecotricity are the national network for supplying green electricity we, we, in those pumps around the country yeah, we're one of probably They're three not pumps, networks. They're charging points, of course. No, I call them pumps. Oh, dear, there pumps, you go. That's they, fine. They, they, <laughs> they pump electricity, don't they? Yeah, I like true, simple true. language where I can. Yeah. No, I like um, it. I, 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 I think there are three networks probably in our country now that would consider themselves to be national. We were the first, and we're on the motorways. Uh, there are others now that are up and down the country in uh, supermarket car parks and, and places like that. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I'd say we're probably one of three. But we're, we're the biggest in terms of volume, not pump numbers, yeah. uh, but in terms of the amount of clean electricity we deliver every month, uh, we're the biggest. Yeah. Good work. Um, very quick one from Tanya on Facebook. Come on, Dale, will the Forest Green Rovers kit be back on sale? I promised my grandson the blue one for Christmas. Oh, I didn't realize that it wasn't on sale. I know that we had <laughs> the um, the zebra stripes came back into stock just before Christmas, and I didn't know we'd run out of the blue one, so I'll, I'll just go away and check that. Um, but <laughs> we've been victims of our own success in I'm that, sure. and, and it is a shame. Uh, but it's a good thing at the same time. I mean, I'm really pleased they're so popular, and... A lot of this has been, uh, a lot of the problem has been driven by global demand. You know, we, we sold shirts to 17 different countries in the world in the first 24 hours of launch at the start of the season. Wow. Uh, which is am amazing for a little old League Two club, I think. But yeah, we'll, we'll get on with it. Don't worry. We'll be, we're definitely ordering more. Um, they ju it just takes time. Good work. And finally, let's have a, a Trump moment. He's, uh, he's back on his windmills again. We'll have a... An economy based on wind. I never understood wind, and I know windmills very much. I've studied it better than anybody. I know it's very expensive. They're made in China and Germany mostly. Very few made here, almost none. But they're manufactured tremendous, if you're into this, tremendous fumes, gases. They're noisy. They kill the birds. You want to see a bird graveyard? You just go, take a look. A bird graveyard? Go under a windmill someday. You'll see more birds than you've ever seen ever in your life. So he says, uh, Dale, that he said, I've studied, I, I love this, I've studied it better than anyone I know, he says. Yeah, yeah, and he he's knows the, more about why the are you talking to anybody? Why are you not talking to Trump? Forget your local yeah. MP. He's the man who knows oh, stuff. I know, he's amazing, isn't he? Where, where to start? What, what is it? Um, the noise from windmills causes cancer, I think he said recently. That was one of them, yeah. He did, and yeah. of course, the bird graveyard comment again, so... Uh, yeah, you built your all, first windmill all... in 1996, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, yes. And um, you made me think at the, at the start of the program, you, you talked about us being in green energy, you know, kind of long before uh, most people think about it. It's a quarter of a century this year. Wow. Uh, since Ecotricity got going, we were the first green energy company in the world, first people to say, you know, uh, there's a different kind of electricity, different sure. way to do things. And um, yeah. 25 years this year. Dale will speak on the next episode. Cool. Thanks, we'll Ian. see you then. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to subscribe for free from your podcast provider so that you can get each episode automatically and leave a review too. Really important this bit. Make sure you follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince or facebook.com slash dalevince. We'll see you next time. 
Zero. Carbon. East off.